We're going to be in Galatians this morning. We've been talking about the presence of the Holy Spirit, what it is and what it is not. We have a desire to have the presence of God. We, we realize as we spoke from week one that the Holy Spirit is the comforter that Jesus Christ gave us that we wouldn't be alone so that while He's gone and preparing places for us, that we wouldn't be here on our own and that the Holy Spirit is, is not quantified by the gifts of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not tongues, but there's a gift of tongues. There's a, the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. And we're going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit this morning um, because I, I think there's a lot of... Um, controversy, a lot of contradiction maybe that happens depending on how you are raised. And we just want to look right at the Word, at what it says, so that it will point you back to what God's Word means and what He wants you to do. I think what happens too often, and um, I'll just be blunt with you, I think there's things that people practice that's not even in the Bible, and then somebody says, why do you practice that? They say, well, it's in the Bible. And you say, well, no, it's not. And they go, well, that's what we heard. <laughs> Uh, I don't want you to go by what somebody taught or what you heard. Let's go by what the Bible says, and then it will give us the right way to experience and express the Holy Spirit. It shouldn't be something to be feared. We talked last week that it's a wonderful gift that if we just ask and seek and knock, it will be given to us. And he says it shouldn't be a scary thing. It shouldn't be a hard thing. But depending on how you were raised and what church you grew up in, it could have been a scary thing. It could have been a hard thing. But he didn't want it to be that way. And so I want to talk about this, this thing that uh, sometimes gets overlooked. I think in, in spirit-filled, charismatic, Pentecostal, whatever you call it, uh, circles, I think we jump immediately from, from salvation to the gifts. And and great, the gifts are for us, and, and they're there, but we need to understand the fruit of the Spirit, because the fruit of the Spirit that flows in us, part of the gift of the Spirit, brings the character of God. And, and if we don't have God's character, and we just jump to the gifts, it's like operating heavy machinery without knowing what to do. And it may be cool, but you can also do a lot of damage. And I don't think that God wanted the church to have damage. I don't think we're supposed to damage each other. I don't think we're supposed to split up. I don't think we're supposed to have all these controversies. I think that the, the church should be the fullness of the Spirit that edifies or strengthens and builds itself up. But uh, we're going to talk about the, the relationship about that today, that the fruit of the Spirit, just like a fruit tree, the fruit isn't for itself, and the fruit isn't for the tree. The fruit comes because there's something flowing on the inside that begins to show up on the outside. First a bud, then a blossom, then the fruit, right? And the tree doesn't eat the fruit, right? The fruit is for others, and the fruit is to reproduce another tree. The fruit is for others, and the fruit is for reproducing. It's not to show off. It's not to be uh, spiritually mature. The fruit that comes not from us, not from our gifts and abilities, but is that precious flow of the Holy Spirit inside of us that flows through us. And if it flows through us, there should be an outward, visible process. This is what is known as the fruit of the Spirit. 
Now, before you get saved, you have other fruit, and we're going to talk about that this morning. That's where we find it in Galatians chapter 5. We're going to read verses 18 through 21 right here. Understanding that there is other types of fruit. There's not just the fruit of the Spirit. There's fruit that we don't want to have out there, but it's out there. So here we go. This is what he says. If you are led by the Spirit, notice it's an if. You don't have to be, but you should be. If, you're, if you have been saved and you are now in a relationship with Jesus Christ, you should be led by the Spirit because Jesus isn't on the planet anymore, so we need to be led, and we're led by the Spirit. Here's what he said. Then you're not under the law. He took care of all of that. It's not about the checklist. It's not about the do's and the don'ts and the rights and the wrongs. He will guide you. If you will just follow him and be led by the Spirit, you don't have to worry about the rules. He won't lead you where you're not supposed to go. It makes it so much simpler. Okay? Next verse. Now the works or the fruit of the flesh are evident. Notice this. They stand out as well. Look what these are. And we, we understand. We see this all over the place, right? Adultery. Fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envies, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Now, here's why he tells you this. There should be a contrast between our lives and the lives of people that don't follow God. And they might, that may sound very intolerant to a, a, a growing, strange world out there, but I'm just telling you as a pastor and as a Christian, there should be a difference between those that follow God and those that don't. Your life should look different. Your decisions should look different. Your speech patterns should be different. Your family should look different. Your faith should be different. You should look different than the rest of the world that doesn't follow Christ. Now, if you see in that list right there, Something that represents you, maybe you got to back up and say, wait a minute, maybe I'm not following the Spirit. Now again, if you're a work in progress like me, I'm a work in progress. <laughs> I haven't got it all figured out. I have bad days, and I drop the ball. But my heart is to keep moving forward, and my heart is to honor God. And so if you say, well, I know I do some of those things, but I I'm not going to quit then you need to ask yourself who you're really being led by and who you're really following. So if your life is filled with drunkenness, you could ask yourself, the Bible says that's not the fruit of the Spirit. If you're somebody that's all about self, selfish ambition, self, 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 you may ask yourself, maybe I'm not being led by the Spirit. But he goes on, look what he says. He says, I'm telling you beforehand that these things are evident for a good reason. Just as I also told you in times past that those who practice these things, why shouldn't we practice these things? Look at the last part of this. Now remember, this is not Pastor Tony. This is God's Word. People that continue to practice these things will not make it to heaven. Now, maybe you didn't want to hear that this morning, but that's where the Word comes in so that you are well informed. Now you can say, but I've got God's grace. I'm just telling you God's Word says if you practice these things, you will not make it to heaven. You can argue all you want, but the reality is read that last sentence. If you practice these things, if you are a chronic adulterer, you will not make it to heaven. I don't care how often you sit in church, and I don't care. You keep doing these things, you will not make it 
to heaven. You keep going out and getting drunk, you will not make it to heaven. You keep being all about you and you don't care about anybody else, it's just self, 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 you will not make it to heaven. And you can say, but, but the, Bible, the Bible says God's grace is free. It is free. And His grace is given. And His mercy is given. And the fact that He hasn't killed us yet is His grace and His mercy. But what it is saying is, if you're truly going to follow me, then quit following that other stuff. You've got to stop doing that stuff, not because of legalism, but because it leads you in the wrong place. Because it points in the wrong direction. And so if all of a sudden your little buzzer's going off saying, oh man, that's hard. Maybe you need to pray through. That's His grace as well. You're not terminated right now. Now you can say, whoa, I never knew that before. i got to make a change. You repent, you receive the mercy of Jesus Christ, and you walk a different path. That make sense? See, this is what's happened in our world that at one point, everybody that came to church understood how we were supposed to respond. They made a decision. They started walking different. But the times have changed, and now people say, I can do this, 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 and this, which are all contrary to God's Word and still make it to heaven. I'm here to tell you that the Bible says you're wrong. You do these things, and you keep practicing them, and I want to focus on this for just a second. Not all the bad works, but that word practicing. Every one of us have sinned. You your mama, your kids, your beautiful grandbabies, all born sinners. It happens. But the key word is practicing, which means you're doing it again and again and again and again and again because practice makes perfect, and you don't want to be a perfect sinner. You want to be perfected by God, made in His image. So again, you, if that used to be your life, no guilt, no shame, no condemnation because we've all been there. But now's the time to stop walking like that, quit practicing those things, and be led by the Spirit. It will lead you into truth. It will lead you to a different place. Just remember that if you keep following these things, that's your choice. But they don't make it to heaven, and you don't want to stand there and have God say, See ya. Depart from me. I don't want that for you. You don't want that for you. So hear God's Word and understand that He starts with the negative so He can finish with the positive. Is that okay? So we'll get all this heavy stuff out of the way. If you're doing these things, stop. You've got the grace and the strength of Jesus Christ on your side to stop today, repent, which means to turn and take a different path. All right? Good with that? Whether you are or not, we're going on. Here we go. He's talking about something else. And so he contrasts those fruit of the, of the flesh, the fruit of the, the law. And now he's saying there's also another fruit that comes from the inside that's displayed on the outside to glorify God and to build up others. It's not for us. It's to reproduce and to build up other people. Now look at what he says. This is verse 22. He continues the, the sentence. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And notice what he says, against such things there is no law. That means these will not be limited. If you just follow those things, you won't have to worry about the law. You won't have to worry about the boundaries if you'll just walk in love and joy and peace. There's no limit to it. There's no, oh, you did it wrong. It's pretty tough to love somebody wrong. 
it's pretty tough to have too much joy or too much peace. I mean, wouldn't that be horrible? What's wrong with you, Pastor? I just got so much peace in my life, it's really bugging me. We never say that, right? Man, why are you so down? It's just overwhelming love. Just everybody loves me, and they treat me so good, and God loves me, and everybody loves me. Man, it's just, it's so hard. Isn't it funny that we don't feel that way? You notice what he's saying? This is the stuff that really makes us alive. All that other stuff, the stuff that we think is so fun before we get saved, it only leads to horrible things, things you don't care about once they're gone. I used to drink, and every weekend, you're looking for the weekend, and then every weekend, I'm throwing up. I'm putting my face in a place never designed for a face. And even before I'm safe, saying, oh, God, get me out of this, if, if, just, I'll never do it again till next Friday. And I do the same stupidity all over again. And if you've been there, put it in the past. Put it in the rearview mirror and move forward. They never leads to life. It never leads to joy. It never leads to a better life. These things lead to a better life. You want to have a life that's worth living? You want to have relationships that are incredible and you feel loved? Get the fruit of the Spirit. That's what it's all about. You see, in times past, we always pointed to all the, the negatives. Don't, don't, don't. That never leads to life. God says, hey, Those things are evident. We know what those look like. You want to know what real life looks like? Love, joy, peace, patience. Those are the things that make life worth living. Those are the things that makes it attractive to other people. I mean, you think about that. Who wants to come and find me as some 20-year-old with my head stuck in a toilet? I'm wearing my own vomit, and somebody brings in somebody and says, Man, look at what you could have. Your life could be like this. Wouldn't that be awesome? I'm sure they would say, man, I can't wait. Where do I sign up? How about you, adulterer? Hey, how would you like to be the guy that's got five divorces? where Where do you sign up? Nobody wants that. But everybody wants love and peace patience. That last one's a little bit tough. Not all of us are good with self-control yet, but it's part of the process. He said, not only is there no law against these things, verse 24, those who are Christ, those that are following Christ, they've crucified the flesh. That means they've killed that part off. They had to pin it someplace so it can't keep following them. That's why he says crucified. Notice that. When you're pinned to the cross, you ain't going anywhere. And some of you, that's That's where you're hanging up. That's why it's so difficult for you at this point is that you keep your flesh around instead of pinning it to the cross. You pin it there, and it doesn't get to follow you into your great future. You doesn't get to follow you and bug you, and you got to keep quit giving it your forwarding address. God wants to call you forward into new life, not back into the old life. That's even what baptism is about. All that old stuff going into the grave and a new life that emerges like a brand new baby. All that stuff gone. Or you can keep doing the same old thing. But it says you've got to crucify those passions and those desires. But it's Christ that does that for us. Verse 25, look at this. If we live in the Spirit, 
If we say that we've received the gift of the Holy Spirit, it's in us, then we should walk in the Spirit. And it's that same word as practice. You've got to keep doing it. It's one foot in front of another, one foot in front of another, one foot in front of another. You've got to walk out your faith. You get tripped up sometimes, but you get up and keep going. And it's not instantaneous. As soon as you get saved, all this stuff doesn't just happen. You've got to walk. And for me, it made sense when I first read this. I know my life is back there, but now I turn my back on it and I walk away. And the farther in the distance it gets, the better off I am. But if you keep going back to it, you keep going back to it, not only do you wear yourself out, but you'll never have the life that God wants you to have. It's just a step at a time. And the, the steps are forward not backwards. And it doesn't mean you don't stumble, all those things, but notice that these are each step. First, there's got to be love, and then joy, and on. And you're walking away from the old life, the old desires, all that stuff that's in your rearview mirror, it's walking forward. But if you live in the Spirit, then walk in the Spirit. It will never lead you to that other place. And that's the thing I'm talking about. If you're truly led by God, you won't need to get drunk. You can get filled with the Spirit. You won't have to have all those other things. And, and I'll just tell you up front, if you want a little bit, of, it's not pop psychology. It's just truthful, spiritual insight. If you feel like you're dabbling in some of those works of the flesh, those fruit of the flesh, it's usually because there's an area of your spiritual life that's been emptied and you're trying to fill it with something else. And if you'll turn to God, He'll fill it with the fruit of the Spirit instead of you having to trying to fill it with the fruit of your flesh. Every one of those things corresponds to a need that we have that God can fill with His Spirit, but if not, we'll fill it with our flesh. You really want to be loved, but if you don't fill it with the fruit of the Spirit, you'll find yourself engaged in adultery and fornication, and that's the wrong kind of love because those are temporary physical love that can end with heartache. Or you can have the love of God. That is a complete different way to be loved that will last forever. And on and on and on. We don't have time to talk about that today. You can get a commentary and read on that. But why we want to talk about this is that we've got to understand that there are gifts of the Spirit. We're going to talk about that in, in weeks to come. But I want you to understand that there's a reason for this fruit because the fruit balances the gifts of the Spirit. You want to read about the gifts of the Spirit? That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 uh, through 14. All kinds. He gives us the, the way that they're there and how that we're supposed to operate in them. But the fruit balances the gifts. So let's take a look at some of this stuff. I, I want you to be aware of what this means. You see, the fruit of the Spirit is truly the character of God. Did you know that the Bible says God is love? It doesn't say that He has love. It says that He is love. Isn't that funny that love is one of the fruit of the Spirit? And it's the first fruit of the Spirit that we need to understand. But without the character of God, we'll abuse or overuse the gifts of God. And I want the gifts to be present in the church every place, every Sunday. But without the character, the fruit to balance it out, we can hurt each other. 
It's like putting a 10-year-old inside of a backhoe. They've got the power, they've got the controls, but what happens when they swing the, the boom into the house or knock you down or run you over because they didn't understand how to use it? You see, the problem is we haven't emphasized the character enough over the gifts. The gifts are the ability of God. The fruit is the character of God. And we need to have them both in balance to bring life and health. So let's talk through these for a second. And I want to use the, the illustration. It's amazing that uh, this is not the, the lampstand as, as uh, exampled in the Old Testament, but just using a lampstand. In the Old Testament, in the tabernacle, there was a lampstand that was placed inside of the holy place. And it was the only form of light. But what it was was a hollow structure that had all these beautiful adornments of pomegranate fruit and all kinds of stuff. But it was filled with oil at the base, and there was wicks coming out of each one of these, and the wicks couldn't light themselves. Somebody else had to light it, but the wick only was good as it was found in the oil. No oil, no light. And so as this was filled, the outside only represented what was happening on the inside. So if you go to light the light, and there's no way it lights, that probably means it's out of oil, or the wick has been disconnected somehow. See, the problem is we think that we can disconnect the internal, the character of God, from the external, the gifts of God, and when we do, we've got a mess. He's like that internal stuff, that sap, the Holy Spirit that flows through us will come out, but without that sap, you trying to produce fruit gives you that plastic fruit that's hard inedible, and it looks like something, but it can't be consumed, it can't reproduce, it's nothing, it's fake. And let me tell you this, why? You can fake some of those gifts that we read in 1 Corinthians 12, but you can't fake the fruit. And this is my personal stance, don't hold it to the word, but I'll tell you this, I've met a lot of people that say that they flow in the gifts and I look at their lives, and they're up and they're down, and they're up and they're down, and they're mean-spirited, and they're hard, and they're religious. And I think, but those gifts don't offset your character. And then I've seen people that I haven't seen flow in the gifts very much, but the fruit of the Spirit's very evident in their life, and I want to hang around those people. And those are the people I say, no, that's a Christian. That's somebody that I want to model my life after. I see how they love. I see that they're patient. I see that they're full of joy. I don't care that they can't prophesy, and I don't care that they can't speak in tongues, because I see the beautiful fruit of God in their life. Because you can have one without the other, but it leaves plastic fruit. So let's walk through these real quick. Again, all of them attached to the same base. None of these are, quote, more important than the other. There's nine fruit, nine candles, but they're all fed from the same source. It's not your natural talents or abilities. It's from the Holy Spirit. So let's talk about this first one, love. Oh, we're supposed to love each other. Yes, we should, but look what it says. Are you truly interested in the well-being of others? Or is your love only about getting your love met? One's flesh, one's fruit. You go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, there's a whole section on love. Love is patient. Love is kind. 
on and on and on. Because it wants to teach us how to love. We know that we're not good at loving well, so the Bible wants to make sure you know how to love well. How about joy? Now, I'm not talking about happiness. That's a whole different thing. But joy, do you find joy in building others up? Does it bring you joy to see somebody lifted up, somebody strengthened, or is it all about you? You see, there's a joy that happens whether the circumstances change or not. I can have a horrible set of circumstances, but I can still have joy because of what Jesus has done for me, and I can still serve others even when I'm not being served. How about peace? Here's a big one. Are you at peace with the family of God? Ever met those people? Well, I love God. I just hate church. You've got a problem. <sighs> because we were supposed to come together. And if your relationship with God is great, but your relationship with people is bad, you've got a problem. Because let me just tell you, did you realize you're going to spend eternity with people? There's no alone place in heaven. We don't get individual solitary confinement. Some of you are like, darn, I'm not sure I want to go then. You still want to go, okay? <laughs> are you at peace with the family of God? If not, why not? Maybe because the fruit of flesh is making you selfish and you're not interested in the other people. How about long-suffering? We hate this one. Just telling you up front, most people are doing this. But are you willing to wait? You want to use your gifts. You want to be used by God. Great. But are you willing to wait so that it fits into the service? It fits for that person? Or are you going to overwhelm them because you need to do your thing? It's a good question. How about kindness? Moving on. Are you acting in humility when you're doing things? Are you trying to be kind or are you trying to get noticed? You see, I've met people both ways. Some people, they never want to be up on the stage. They never want to be up front. They, they, they don't care about it. They just want to serve God and love people well. And that is awesome. That's a great way of humble character. And then there's people that say, no, no, it's not about me. They'll keep applauding, but it's not about me. And you even see this in our modern day when we celebrate recording artists and stuff like that. They always want to, you know, I just want to give it up for the man upstairs, but they're receiving the award and the trophies and the gold uh, uh, records, and, the, and it really is all about them, and it's false humility. That's not what God says it should be. How about goodness? This is a big one. Is your personal life lined up with God's Word? See, we do great damage when we claim that we're a Christian but our life doesn't line up with His Word. And I'm not talking about being perfect, because none of us are. But if your life is more characterized by the flesh than the Word of God, you've got some fixing to do. And I'll tell you why. Through a, a, a real-life story that happened to my wife and I. We were at a revival in Florida. Incredible things were happening. And a young teenage boy, 15 years old, stepped up to share a story. He went to a large high school, got radically saved, and he began to notice that there was other kids 
in that school that called themselves Christians, went to school, had Christian families, but they didn't behave very well. And one day they were having a Bible study, and this kid that was kind of the school jock, but was not very well known for his behavior, his mouth, or his dating habits, came in wearing a Christian shirt. And this young man stepped up to him and said, man, I'm glad to see you here. Uh, I just have a question, you know, have you completely changed your life because I heard this, this, and, and this? And the guy's like, well, no, but he says, you know, I've always been saved. And this little, little bitty 15-year-old says to this <laughs> big football player, close, he's not making a scene in front of everybody, he says, if you're not going to live the life, take off the T-shirt. And I'm not talking about guilt or condemnation this morning. But what I am saying is if we're going to call ourselves Christians, which means Christ followers, then we should be doing our best to exemplify Christ, not living like the world. And then just on Sunday, we show up and put our T-shirt on. We blacken the eye of Jesus Christ, and we blacken our testimony by people that see our behavior that doesn't line up with Christ. Now, again, if you're still in the process, I get that, but I'm talking about the practicing, right? We've all messed up, but if it's this constant, and, guys, and you guys know it too, and, and I wouldn't even think that you were uh, trying to condemn me, but I'll tell you what, over the next three weeks, if you saw me in the local newspaper for domestic abuse and drunk driving, you'd begin to say something's wrong with that man that preaches God's Word and talks about God's love but beats his wife and can't stop drinking. And you should be right in saying something's wrong with him. Well, there's grace. Yep, there's grace to repent and put it behind you and start a new walk. Faithfulness. Has God told you to do or say what you're doing? If we've got it in his word, we can follow it. And that's the important thing I'm trying to get to you. Let's just follow his word. There's been some stuff that's like, I know the Bible says it, but we're not going to do it. Well, why not? And there's stuff that the Bible doesn't say to do, but I know we're going to do it. Well, why? <laughs> well, because that's a bad answer. Let's go by what the Bible actually says to do. And if it says it, let's believe it, and let's practice that. And then we'll be just like we're supposed to be. And there's a big area for us to maneuver around, and we're not all supposed to be alike. How about gentleness? Are you gentle in how you do it? Do you feel like you have to interrupt people or interrupt the service or, or have to butt your way into things? And this last one, self-control. Did you know that that's part of the grace that's given to us through the Holy Spirit? You can now control your yes and no. Nobody's making you do it. You, and, and I love this, I, I mean, I wish I had this ability. I, I remember somebody came to me and said, man, you make me so mad. And I was like, man, I wish I had that ability to just make you mad. Man, if I can make you do something, I'm going to make you start tithing. Isn't that amazing? I can make somebody mad, but I can't make them give. No, you chose to get mad. You chose to allow the flesh to rise up. You chose to allow pride and ego and but you want to blame that on somebody else? No, self-control. 
And again, Jesus set the model for us. Look at this. They're accusing him, falsely trying him, spitting on him, pulling out his beard, and it said he wouldn't even say a word. He could have said, this is wrong. What you're doing is not how this is supposed to go. Why are you slapping? Notice that he had self-control. They didn't understand what they were doing. He could have called down a thousand angels and killed everybody on the spot. But he didn't. And this self-control is what is so needed for our world today. Because the world seems to have forgotten what self-control means. Self-control doesn't mean I can say what I want to say, when I want to say it, to who I want to say it, however I want to say it. That may be a constitutional right, but that doesn't mean that that's what Christ says you're supposed to do. And I'm talking about Twitter, Facebook, and in person. We should be treating people with love and kindness and gentleness and humility. Yes, those wacko people tick you off, but you don't have to respond Okay? There's no gift of the Spirit that overtakes your hands and makes you touch your keyboard or your phone. Send. That's the works of the flesh right there. And I'll tell you how to get out of that. Type that long three-page paragraph that you want to respond in, into Facebook and then hit delete. You got it all out of your system, but you didn't make the rest of us look at you and go, what is wrong with them? You don't have to respond. You don't have to tell your story. You don't have to correct the person. Even if they're wrong, you don't have to. You've got self-control. You don't have to do the things that the world says you have to do. You've got self-control. God won that back for us. Before, we were ruled by our own passions and our lusts, and we couldn't say no. Now we can. Now I can say, I don't have to drink to be happy. I don't have to run around to find love. I don't have to be happy to have joy. I can have self-control. And just because I have the power doesn't mean I have to exert it. All that we do should be done on the basis of love and edification, which means building up other people. So we look at this little thing here. Each one of these, there's, even though there is a, a, a tier system, I guess at the top we'd put love. It's the biggest thing that God tells us to do, right? Love God and love other people. But notice that they're all interconnected and full by the Holy Spirit. The candles can't light themselves. If we're going to shine, we need the Holy Spirit to light us up or we shine poorly. We need that filling so that the fruit of the Spirit comes out in us. I'll tell you, it's on display because just like the works of the flesh are evident, the fruit of the Spirit is evident too. You can see somebody that's joyful. You can see somebody that's at peace. And you've seen the opposite, right? You've seen somebody that's totally out of it. They're up and down and frenetic and back and forth and their life is chaotic. Nobody hopes for that. Man, I hope to be like that. I hope I just worry myself to an early grave. I want that. But peace doesn't mean the absence of problems. It just means God's got this. God can handle my kids. 
God can fix my marriage. God can work on me even though I'm not there yet. And you can have peace in that. But I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand this morning, we're going to pray.